The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. They say that all politics is local, but in New Zealand we don't really believe that because all the power in New Zealand seems to be with central government. And anyone who's got political ambitions usually tries to get into one of the main parties to get into parliament and go on to become prime minister and all of that because in New Zealand... All of the money goes through to central government. Income taxes, GST, it's not shared with local government. And a lot of the spending and control of things like health and education, they are at central government level. That's not normal. In the rest of the world, a lot of those things, including police, for example, are controlled at a local government level. And a lot of things like income taxes, payroll taxes, GST, are either levied or shared with local government. And they have a lot more levers to pull in making things like affordable housing and transport happen. In New Zealand, we've got this awkward conflict and separation between central and local government, where the central government often tells local government what they need to do, setting water quality standards, telling them uh, what type of houses can be built where, And local government often come back and say, well, yeah, you want me to do this, but I don't have the money or the revenue tools, the revenue streams or the ability to raise debt to actually achieve this. And so what we've ended up with over 30 years is a structural underinvestment in infrastructure where central government wants to keep taxes low and won't invest in the infrastructure. And local government, who typically have to pay for about half of things like new roads and buses and trains and that sort of thing, they also can't or won't pay for the infrastructure. And it's incredibly important now because our major challenges are around redesigning and re-engineering our cities to have a lot more medium density homes that are close to transport nodes where we're doing a lot more cycling and walking and using trains and buses and it's electric and it requires enormous amounts of investment and also changes in the way that we organize our city. So this is not something that the central government can do by fiat. They're going to have to come to an agreement with local government. That's why I wanted to focus on one particular city as a microcosm of some of the challenges we face. This week on When the Facts Change, I'm going to look at Wellington and in particular talk to a surprise, interesting candidate for the mayor of Wellington. This is very early. We're not going to get the elections until October of 2022. But Tori Fana, the former chief of staff for the Green Party between 2014 and 2017 here in Wellington, has put her hand up to be the Wellington mayor. And in this week's episode, we talk with her about the big news events of 2021 in Wellington, an incredibly important and conflict-ridden meeting which determined the uh, district plan. Essentially, this was a battle between NIMBYs and YIMBYs about whether there would be lots of medium density houses close to transport nodes in Wellington. There's been huge ructions around water quality and, of course, uh, three waters. 
We've had a, a council which has been quite divided and fractious uh, with a mayor who isn't popular with just about everyone. And there's a lot of interest in Wellington on how to deal with these issues of affordable housing and transport, a very much delayed uh, Get Welly Moving uh, project. And of course, a big conflict between the council and the government over who should subsidise social housing in the city, where unlike in Christchurch and Auckland, where the council has gotten out of social housing, Wellington's still very much in it. And uh, we talk in this interview with Tori about this issue of rents and her ambitions for what's going to happen with public transport and affordable housing in Wellington. This interview was recorded on December the 20th, so if um, there's amazing amounts of drama between now and when it's replayed in January, please forgive us, but uh, that's when we recorded it to try and summarise what's happened in the year of 2021 in local politics through the eyes of uh, the particular issues in Wellington, and then looking ahead to see what's going to be on everyone's agendas uh, for the next 12 months or so on these key issues of climate change, housing affordability, and child poverty. That's this week on When the Facts Change, a podcast brought to you on the Spinoff Podcast Network in partnership with KiwiBank. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist, Jared Kerr, on what's happening with inflation in 2024. Globally, inflation rose to really high levels. We saw inflation averaging over 10% uh, last year. Now central banks have reacted. They, they've tightened monetary policy. They've lifted interest rates to levels where it hurts. We've seen growth slow down and we're seeing inflation coming off, which is great news because we import a lot of inflation from the rest of the world and that imported inflation is easing. So half the job that we're trying to do locally is is being done for us offshore. The other half, the domestic bit, well, that's the tough bit. That's the sticky inflation that's coming out of a housing market, it's coming out of construction, it's coming out of service industries, and it's going to be hard to contain. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. At Z, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora to Tori Fano and welcome to When the Facts Change. Great to see you, Tori. Great to see you too. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, it's it's great to get back into local politics and think about the year ahead and the year that's just gone, uh, because I have this view that uh, local government is often where the really big decisions are made to do, particularly with housing and transport and inevitably child poverty. And I thought one way to think about this year and look ahead to next is to look at what one of our biggest cities is up to and talk to someone who's campaigning to be the mayor next year. So could you give us an idea of, you know, who you are, what your background is and why you want to be the mayor of Wellington? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I've been living in Wellington for the last 20 years now. Uh, I grew up in Cannons Creek uh, in Porirua before moving to Taranaki when I was about seven. Um, And then I moved back here to go to Vic Uni, uh, like a lot of people, uh, and haven't really left since then. So this is home to me, uh, and I don't really intend on um, going anywhere else. Uh, I've also worked at Parliament for the last six years. I recently left um, after being Chief of Staff for the Green Party. Uh, So I have a lot of uh, experience in central government. Uh, Also volunteered on Justin Lester's campaign when he ran for mayor. So quite familiar with the workings of government and council. So I, I you know, I consider myself a true Wellingtonian. Um, I've had a taste of many communities. Um, and that's kind of like, uh, I mean, I'm running for mayor because I think when we think about those important issues, housing, uh, child poverty, uh, transport, uh, we, we need some quite drastic changes and it's going to need some strong leadership uh, to really see that through, and uh, that that's something that I can do, um, and especially with my um, experience as chief of staff and my relationships with our current government, uh, I, I think I mean that can only be hugely beneficial. And like a lot of people, I want to see a much stronger, safer community. Um, and I'm really passionate to see how I can help make that happen. Yeah, what do you think um, is going right and going wrong with Wellington at the moment? How, how does it need to change? Over the last few years, I think, uh, with our issues around housing, transport, uh, and you know, safety uh, in, in many ways, we have seen a bit of a loss of community over the last few years. Our city isn't feeling that great. Uh, and that has been as a result of, you know, earthquakes as well, um, our broken um, pipes, infrastructure uh, and COVID. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm feeling quite optimistic. We do have some great projects underway um, at consultation, like Let's Get Willie Moving and our district plan. It's a great start. Uh, and with the right leadership, I think seeing those through to fruition Um, we can really build that strong sense of community again. So I feel like there's a lot of good stuff kind of like waiting to happen, but things that might be holding it back or, you know, by either lack of funding or too much red tape, we don't really have time to waste, actually, especially when we're thinking about climate change uh, and our housing crisis. We We need it done quicker. And so I'm keen to explore ways to see how that can happen. Now, um, there's been you know lots of talk over the last year about how Wellington can become more of a pedestrian, cyclist-friendly city, um, moves to take some of the cars out of Wellington City, and also to build more medium-density housing, perhaps closer to the centre of not just Wellington, but the centre of transport nodes. What, what's your 
view on how that should go. Because there's some people who think, I need to be able to drive into the city, I live in the suburbs, that's not going to change, and I want my car park. Don't <laughs> take my car park off me. So what's, what's, what's your view on things like medium density housing and also that transition, you know, away from petrol and diesel fuel cars? I mean, up front, I'll say I'm supportive of all of those things. that The necessary changes that need to be made towards uh, to create a much more climate-friendly uh, city. Um, so when it comes to transport, I, I, I mean, I totally hear the discomfort around uh, uh, the changes that that's going to um, cause and uh, people losing their car parks and so forth. I think in the short term, accessibility is important uh, and our transport system isn't quite up to, uh, up to scratch. So in my view is sequencing is actually really important. I have heard from a lot of people, don't take the car parks today. And I, I actually get that, you know, um, because we kind of need that direct access also to our businesses to make sure that they're getting customers through as well. And there have been some frustrations around, you know, buses not showing up on time and we don't have rail and all of that. So uh, everything just sort of needs to fit in together. This is going to be a very um, disruptive period uh, to, to get our city to that more efficient, uh, climate-friendly transport. There's no doubt about that. Um, so what are the little things we can do to actually uh, make our um, Wellingtonians feel a bit comfortable uh, while also acknowledging it's not going to be that comfortable. Um, so, uh, yeah, so sequencing for me is quite important. Uh, with housing, I, I, I just think it's necessary, you know. We, we, we need a, a higher supply of housing and our population is growing. We, we just need more homes. And so if medium to high density um, housing is a way to do that, well, look, I, I, I've heard the concerns around, you know, um, backyards and, and lighting and so forth, but uh, this is where the world is moving. Um, if we want to be a future-focused city, if we want affordable housing, if we want our young people to even have a chance at getting into a home, this is one of those ways to do that. Because um, at the moment, we're quite a long way away from either affordable housing or um, you know having a much higher share of transport being... Um, either on foot or on bike or e-bike or electric car, electric bus, um, not just in Wellington, but nationally. And going from what we heard at the Glasgow conference, uh, not to mention the fact we have the least affordable housing in the world uh, and the most expensive rents in the world and the highest proportion of our uh, people on low incomes who are paying the highest proportion of their incomes in rent, um, there's a big gap between where we need to be and where we are now. Yeah. What's your views on how to make those changes? Um, first of all, in, in the short term, I kind of want to see how do we look after our people. So uh, like especially rent, something that I'm quite passionate about is uh, how do we ease the cost of rents for those on lower incomes? I know we've all read the story recently about the solo mum paying 86% of her income on rent, which is just, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. Um, so in, in the short term, we, we want people to be able to avoid homelessness. So, you know, when I look at campaigns from the um, IRRS for All um, and having access to rental subsidies, um, Stuff like that helps, and I think um, in the in the long term that assists to the wider issue of housing. Um, 
increasing our housing supply is, is an obvious uh, priority for us. Uh, so keen to, um, like Get Welly Moving, accelerate our district plan where possible. And I'm keen to talk to um, our Minister for Housing uh, and, and Associate Minister for um, Homelessness on the best solutions to do that. So I think that relationship with central government is really key. Um, and I'd love the opportunity to be able to do that. Um, you know, taking a look at the uh, the MPS as well um, was you know it's that was it's a great initiative to see that um, the government prioritising housing and and looking at a quicker way to enable that. So uh, supportive of stuff like that, but I am keen to keep working with central government to to keep looking for solutions. Just to um, go back a bit, uh, you mentioned the uh, income-related rent subsidies scheme. For those people outside of Wellington, this is a hot topic uh, here and also important for the rest of the country because it'll set a precedent of sorts. Wellington, um, I hope you don't mind me <laughs> going into the background for our audience here, Tori, Wellington uh, has quite a lot of social housing that is owned and managed by the council. The reason that's important is that under the current way that uh, income-related rent subsidies, so this is quite a chunk of money from the government to p pay for people's rents, uh, they're only available either to Kainga Order or to uh, community housing providers, not to councils. And this has turned into quite a drama here in, here in Wellington because the council's forecasts are that it will be making significant losses in its social housing program and wants access to those income-related rent subsidies. The government is saying no um, so far. Uh, what's your understanding, Tori, of, of where we are on this and why the government hasn't done this yet? Because as you say, there are you know people right now who are in desperate straits simply because the government, which is sitting on $40 billion in cash, will not pay five, ten million dollars a year to um, help subsidise these rents for people in enormous stress in Wellington. What's what's going on here? Um, I mean, last last I read, uh, Minister Woods was, was looking into it, which, um, I mean, those are just words for now, but it, it still gives me hope that hopefully that becomes a priority. We, we've had other MPs also speak against this policy, uh, out against this policy, which is great. I think... And that's the beauty of kind of ground campaigning as well, is that, look, we just need to get a bit louder um, and hopefully uh, get Labour to see that uh, this is a problematic policy and it's, it's something that needs to be changed. And we generally have that focus as well on kind of our debt levels and, and uh, that it's, it's, it's issues just like this that suffer from that focus. Um, so... To make it simple, can we please just focus on our people um, and, and see what they need? I'm, I'm really. Uh, when you think, I mean, you think about the the, the gap in wealth, uh, and and then that that that's probably enough to make people, you know, uh, stir some emotions. But when you think about people who are, are suffering, who are going to suffer this Christmas, who wouldn't want to help them? I, I feel like we all have different political views and and views on how to get there, but I think. You'd have to be quite a quite a person not to want to assist a, a Fano in need um, and help them pay rent. It, it, it does it doesn't make sense to me otherwise. 
Yeah, it's um, it's something a lot of people uh, don't know about. That um, our government, not just the current Labor government, um, supported by the Greens, but also the previous Labor New Zealand First government and the previous National uh, government, uh, has run under a fiscal responsibility framework of sorts, which means that the government of whatever flavour has to, under the Public Finance Act, keep debt low. And um, it's meant that we're making all sorts of decisions to not invest in infrastructure and not spend money on uh, people who are short of income, particularly uh, during COVID. And you're probably one of the few people who are really familiar with how this operates, because as the Green Chief of Staff from 2014 to 2017, one of the debates during that time and ahead of the 2017 election was what the position of Labour and the Greens would be around things like public debt and running surpluses and that sort of thing. Can you tell us the thinking and the background and what your views are uh, and what should have happened on the fiscal responsibility framework? Uh, so when it was first voted through um, before the uh, the 2017 election, um, I mean, I was admittedly very, very uh, new at the time uh, and it was no surprises caused quite a bit of drama uh, when that happened. Um, it didn't sit well with a lot of our core values and that, in, that, in, that includes me as well. You know, it happened, it got caucus approval and it, and it went through. But um, rightfully so, um, I think it was uh, 2018, the Green Party as a whole reflected, uh, consulted with our members and, and certainly... Um, changed their position on that, which was the right thing to do. As I mentioned earlier, again, I think focusing uh, that much on, on debt poses a risk um, uh, to those who need it most, our most vulnerable. And, in, and just investing more in our infrastructure uh, and those on low incomes in the long term is an investment it leads to a better outcome. So uh, I think just it, it doesn't provide for that longer term thinking. Um, so personally, my view um, is, is, is uh, placing a cap on such things is, 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 is not good for our people. Yeah. Um, and that broad issue of the relationship between central and local government is crucial, I reckon, in understanding why there's been such little spending on infrastructure. I, I think it's in part because of these three-decade-long decisions to keep debt low at a central government level and because of the way local government finances work, and in particular that they can't raise their own taxes other than rates, means that um, they are unable to uh, fund for themselves through debt. So what's your view about how the relationship between local government and central government should could change to try to deal with these issues? I, th I think um, there's, there's a slight fear, right, that um, by combining kind of our assets and how they're paid, we, we lose control over them. And that's not something I, I, I want to see and that's not something that our uh, Wellingtonians want to see as well. But, I mean, you're, you're right, stuff needs to be paid for. So... I am keen to see how that could be done. Uh, I suppose much like how I see central government, however, uh, from a council perspective, I want to see more investment uh, in our infrastructure, whether it's uh, paid by central government or council. What I'm, what I'm communicating to people is, you know, if they have that fear around how that impacts their rates or their taxes, uh, think about 
I mean, th this this investment is all about um, improving the quality of our, our council assets, uh, the quality of our lives and the quality of those on lower incomes in Wellington who don't have the luxury of being able to leave our city and, and see all these lovely things. So I'm not saying that we should uh, go and spend up large. What I'm saying is let's not be afraid of debt, especially when that investment will pay off in the long term. Uh, we also need to prioritise our spend as well. Um, you know, there have been a couple of purchases in the in recent years that I don't think uh, was a good use of our council money. Um, so I'm I'm excited to provide some input into that as well if, if I became mayor. Any in particular that of those purchases? Oh, I'm not sure about our, our convention centre um, was probably the best use of money, uh, especially when we still have a, a crumbling library. Um, and, uh, and, and as I mentioned before, um, wanting to invest more in our kind of climate-friendly sort of transport options. Again, it's about priority. What, who, what, what, what are the investments that are going to impact our, our Wellingtonians, our people? Uh, is a convention centre going to do that? I, I, I don't think so. Now, one of the strange things that um, I think puzzles a lot of people is they see from the outside a local government and a council which seems to be, you know, constantly infighting and unable to make change quickly, and often there's conflict between councillors publicly and and mayors. Uh, whereas central government seems this perfectly well-oiled machine where the prime minister stands up in front of everyone and says, "We've decided this," and there was, you know, we're moving forward. Uh, in part because. Um, you're not allowed to put cameras in the cabinet meetings <laughs> watch the fights going on there. Uh, and also because the Prime Minister basically controls who's in uh, cabinet uh, with the approval of caucus. And um, people who are in cabinet as ministers basically aren't beholden to anyone but, but themselves often. And you don't have such strong party positions. And you end up having votes issue by issue, decided by the personal views of of councillors. And unlike a prime minister who has real authority to essentially pursue a vision that the party has agreed to, now that's not the case with the mayor and council. How do you achieve things as a, a mayor in Wellington? Because also, as I understand it, your campaigning is an independent, not necessarily as a as a green uh, um, mayor, what how do you achieve things in that situation? Do you have to hope that um, your side, if you like, you know, wins a majority on the council? Is that what you need or want, or how, how do you think about these things? Yeah, um, well, a huge part of why I'm running as an independent is is because of the way that council operates. Um, I am, I mean. Like most people, uh, like I want to make it clear that I'm, I am here for people. I'm here to build a strong community, and I'm, and as Tangata Finua, kind of the environment will always just be an important part of who I am. And those are those are those are green values. But actually, like you would hope that they're the values of a lot of people. Um, and uh, so I'm running as an independent to be able to kind of put party politics aside, and and kind of. Um, build relationships and respect every councillor's view and, and really work towards a common vision. Uh, you know, I, I, 
I don't know if I'm being naive, but I, I just I just feel like everyone on that council, they do want the best for Wellington. They just don't have a strong enough leadership to kind of bring them there and build consensus. Um, that's something that the Greens have always been quite really good at, is that consensus building, and that's something that I would basically apply to council. And are you working together at all with a, with a group of uh, councillors who share that vision broadly um, to try and achieve it? Or do you just wait to see where the chips lie and then then work on it afterwards? <laughs> um, I mean, in advance of uh, next year's election, I, I am actually, I've started going around and to kind of introduce myself to the councillors. I've been talking to a couple already uh, to, to kind of uh, start that longer process of building my relationship and um, and seeing what their vision is well. And so far it's been quite aligned. And, and again, I do think it's because we want the best Wellington. It's just the process and getting there we might not, not agree with yet. So how do we comp compromise then and come to that sort of middle ground so that we're all at least partly satisfied uh, and we don't, let, we don't let egos, we don't let arguments, we don't let party politics interfere with the, the timelines. I, I, I think it, it just sort of gets in the way. It also creates a bit of um, frustration with our, uh, with our um, Wellington public. They, they don't want to see any of that. that, that it's, they just want to see um, our projects actually get done. So I'm, I'm quite keen to do away with the squabbling. Um, and we can actually, we have the ability here. It, wouldn't it be really great to actually have a, a, a team of councillors and mayor just kind of working together productively um, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I can do that. Do you have a view on whether all of the councillors sh should stand again? I, mean, I don't know yet. It's too early to say who's going to um, put their hand up or, or not. Because there is a, uh, particularly during the district plan debate, there was a lot of uh, unhappiness within green left side of politics, I suppose, with a couple of the green councillors who we're opposed uh, in some cases to some of the moves towards medium density um, housing. Do you think therefore there needs to be a bit of a shake-up on the uh, at least the green left side of the table to you know have a group of people who are perhaps a bit more of a shared view on that? How do you ensure that you've got that one vision? Do you think you could um, you know suggest to a few councillors they not apply or what? I mean, I, I won't be doing that. Um, I think everyone has a, a right to stand and they do represent um, uh, their communities and uh, some councillors will be representing the views of people who have spoken to them and it, it's, it's it, that's fair. It's fair for them to represent those views. Sure, they weren't in line with Green Party views at the time, which is, is an issue and, and, and somewhat problematic. And I'm sure uh, the Green Party themselves will probably see fit on, on how to manage um, their candidates. Um, but uh, what I'm keen to see, and this is half the reason I'm running, is that while respecting the views of all of our communities, I also think it's quite time, an exciting time, if we're thinking of a future-focused city, to see a new round of councillors come through. I mean, I was excited when uh, Tamitha Paul uh, ran last time because she you know, she, she has that youth voice as well as Terry. Um, so I'm keen to see um, real true community representation on our council. And, and I think that does mean perhaps a couple new faces. Uh, yeah, so I, I think there's huge potential here and I think it's exciting. And, a, and a, a part of me standing, which 
may be random to some people, or um, but no, I'm I'm trying to sh show people now is the time for change. Now is the time to stand. Uh, if other people like me want to run as well, that's awesome. Uh, one of the problems with local government is relatively low turnout rates, particularly amongst those people who who rent and who are um, from other communities who don't necessarily own. And I'm thinking here in particular of Māori and Pacifica, the voting rates on local council across the country are very low. Um, how do you think you can uh, engage some of these people who uh, maybe can't see the point in voting in a local election or just don't vote at all because uh, there is something referred to actually by the Productivity Commission a few years ago as a democratic deficit where in essence um, councils are run by ratepayers who own property and um, the decisions about you know where to build houses, um, whether to uh, pay for trains, all of these things are made by people who may be uh, multiple property owners, live in the suburbs and have no real interest in getting out of their cars and are quite happy with the way <laughs> thank you very much and have no real uh, reason to change. How do you how do you sort of you know erase that democratic deficit so it's an evil even playing field? Yeah for sure and that's why I'm very keen to see a much more diverse group of councillors running right because that in itself um, uh, you know, when people see someone like themselves running for something, that, that naturally engages them. Uh, and a huge part of my campaign for mayor will also be encouraging people to just get out and vote. It needs to be treated um, as important as a general election. I, th I think it, it really does come down to, uh, I don't think people really realise just how much of an impact uh, that council decisions have on their day-to-day -day lives. I think that, that's generally it. The council's activities have... Um, have over the years, you know, it's been hard to communicate their impact or uh, or their relevance, um, you know, to people. It's you know, it's a hard job. Um, so I'm I'm also keen to see how we can kind of improve there as well. But it has to, it has to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now with my political uh, hat on and looking at the lay of the land ahead of next year's elections in October, uh, touch wood. There, in Wellington, you know, uh, the the balance means often there's a, I suppose you could call a Labour or a Green mayor, um, although that's not the case at the moment. Uh, and generally there's some sort of um, shakeout before uh, um, an election so that there's a very clear candidate for the left, I suppose you could call it, um, who is going to, you know, campaign against a candidate from the right. We haven't yet seen a Labour person put their hand up to be that left candidate. You've put your hand up pretty early. Are, are you confident that you're you're going to be the, the place where a lot of those centre-left voters are going to settle because there isn't going to be a particular Labour candidate? I'm, I'm really confident. I think um, early sort of um, feedback from those on the left is that they're, they're really excited, especially women. So a, a lot of women, a lot of young women are, are finally like, they're just like, yes, we're seeing someone like us, someone part of our generation running for this important role. And that's awesome. And I know we've heard rumours of, of, of other people uh, possibly standing uh, on the left. And, and that's great. You know, we need some healthy um, competition. But what I'd say to that is, um, look, we've had that experience before. Is that what we need right now? Or do we want someone who's more future focused, who's ready to kind of change things up a bit like I, I think I think 
I think it's time for a refreshing, energetic change. Someone who's actually going to engage people um, with council, and I think I can do that. So for people outside of uh, Wellington, um, what we're talking about here is Paul Eagles, the current Labor MP, who was a councillor on the Wellington Council, and there's rumours that uh, he wants to run for um, mayor as the a Labor candidate. Paul Eagle is holding his cards close to his chest. The reports are that he hasn't made a decision yet. Have you had a chat with Paul Eagles and that's that why you're confident? <laughs> no, 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 I haven't. Not about this. I will say, um, you know, I'm friends with Paul. Uh, he's, a, he's a lovely guy. Um, we, we met when he became uh, deputy and, um, and met a few times, of course, when he became an MP. So I, I really like Paul um, and I really like him as an MP. Uh, I just think for mayor... We're looking for something different, and um, and that's something I can provide. And you know, he should continue doing a good job where he is. Well played, as they say um, in cricket terms. That would be a lovely forward defensive shot. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, now, the other uh, thing that I'm curious about is why you've decided to put your hand up so early um, in other um, large cities. Uh, I think it's it's quite rare to see someone put their hand up almost a year before the election uh, for for the role. Uh, a lot of people like to, you know, keep their cards close to their chest and and that sort of thing. Why did you go so early? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, a couple of reasons. So first I wanted to show Wellingtonians just how serious I was about running, you know, like I, I, and I, I'm all in now, um, but also give them the opportunity to kind of find out a bit more about me, who they can come to. Uh, and share their opinions as a possible incoming mayor, um, and uh, for me be, for me to have uh, like basically an entire year to engage with all the communities and really figure out. Look, I have a vision for Wellington, and I've I've kind of hinted at what that is, but I need to hear from Wellingtonians first uh, before kind of really uh, uh, developing and delivering my my uh, potential policy platform. Um, I I. I need to hear from the people first. So now I have some time to do that and to also build my profile, to be to be honest. Yeah, local government politics is um, as much about name recognition and, um, you know, whether you, you were a ex, usually all blacks seem to have, have a crack um, or a sports star or some sort of big time, high profile business leader or, or something. Uh, how are you going to do that? How are you going to raise your profile? Because local government, it's... Um, it's hard to get on the six o'clock news, or uh, uh, you should be able to get on the front page of the paper. But, but uh, you know, how do you do that in, in Wellington, which is you know, it's a mix of communities. There's some big hills separating people, and um, not everyone talks to each other these days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the the I had my wee stint, my front page of the paper stint, and that was really fantastic. To me, that indicates there is uh, some strong interest in, in me as a candidate. But I, uh, the priority is meet, meeting people first, um, that kind of one-on-one -on -one or group meetings uh, and build my name recognition that way. I mean, um, wider than that, I mean, I, I've, I've done some work in PR. I'm, I'm not too worried about that. The, the priority here is people getting along to events. I also feel, um, you know, based on the reaction to my initial announcement, my my official campaign launch will be um, kind of mid next year. And I've already had 70 people sign up as a volunteer just off that first announcement. So I'm actually feeling very confident that this isn't actually just about, about me becoming mayor. It's about a potential movement 
uh, in building kind of um, some really strong interest in um, jazzing up the, the council. And so I'm, I'm not worried. And you are planning to come up with some sort of um, policy platform of, of sorts? Yep. And I think those ones that I've highlighted, I, I, I've hoped that I've given an indication about the values that will kind of sit under that. Uh, but there'll be, I will be going working through a policy uh, platform next year. If you had to, you know, make a pitch um, without the policy details now, just the broad, here's what I want our Wellington to be. What would you say to people now? If I had a wish list. Um, it would be um, accelerate our transport projects uh, and, and look at ways to remove kind of the, um, those, those three steps kind of in the middle of it. Um, looking at way to uh, reduce rents on lower incomes, um, creating spaces so that people feel a bit feel safer. Uh, I know that there's, there's a big issue around that at the moment. Uh, but also working with our um, local businesses to develop. Uh, what, is a, what is a post-COVID recovery plan look like locally uh so yeah I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to looking at digging into that tori farnow uh, the independent candidate for wellington mayor thank you very much for being on when the facts change thank you tori farnow there from her home in wellington about the year ahead I'd like to thank her for jumping onto this podcast, which was recorded on December the 20th and covered the year that was of 2021 and the year that is of 2022. That's this week on When the Facts Change. We're a weekly podcast, remember, running through the summer. So we want you to click on the subscribe button and whatever platform you use so that you can get the good stuff every week. I'm Bernard Hickey. When the Facts Change, a podcast brought to you on the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with KiwiBank. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.